If you want to make your favorite technical gizmo gang a call, Gizmo Sapiens. Hey, and welcome to Gizmo Sapiens Show 229. Uh, actually, take two. Matt and I recorded a whole hour of audio, and it didn't record. It sounded like we were in a uh, had a bad cell phone connection. <laughs> so that being said, um, welcome to Gizmo Sapiens. I'm Chris, and with me today is I am Matt, and uh, we're going to talk about some pop culture things. And because we've already said this before, we might actually speak it faster, so we might get into a, a couple of other items uh, today. But let's start it off with the pop culture stuff. Uh, let's start with Ahsoka. So, uh, as I previously stated <laughs> an hour ago, um, I've really enjoyed Ahsoka, uh, particularly the first three episodes. I had some issues with the fourth episode from a continuity perspective. Um, there are things that just, that, that to me don't make sense, which, like, Balin Skull not using the force to take the map away from Sabine Wren and uh, and then you know he has to sweet talk her. Now I understand Matt brought up the point that 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 issue alone uh, how it unless he's sweet you know there's some exposition and sweet talking and him getting possession of the map we wouldn't be going forward in the storyline in the, in the season and I, I agree with that um, I don't know I just it doesn't seem very Sith like to me or, or Dark Jedi. Um, the this is really the first Dark Jedi we've ever actually actually seen. Yeah. For real. So, I, I do think their motivations are significantly different than, than the Sith. So, I think the behavior that he's, he's showing us is consistent with his motivations true it's also the first time we've seen jedi of any sort act as mercenaries right um which is another different play yeah um so yeah i i mean i can see it it just it took me out of the story you know how that and the same thing like the the whole battle between Sabine Wren, the lightsaber battle between her and, and what, as you call her, the, the hot blondie Jedi Sith apprentice. Um, you know, because Sabine might be Force... I, I, I don't even want to call her Force-sensitive because she doesn't really show... You know, and they even make... They kind of... They nod to it in, in previous episodes. What is the, the robots, the Jedi robot's name? Who uh, Doctor Who. Yeah, Doctor <laughs> Husung or whatever his yeah. name is. And he goes, I've seen many, you know, yeah. apprentices who have much, much more skill in the force than you do. Um, but you know, that whole the whole she's having this major lightsaber battle um, with somebody who seems to be quite powerful in the force and yet it's it's very much equal. Um, it wasn't in the first battle, but I guess I guess Mandalorian armor counts for a lot. <laughs> Well, Maybe we should get everybody in Star Wars should have some. I mean, at this point, it's pretty much Mando's world. We're all just living in it, really. That's true. That's very true. But uh, I don't know. It, it it's an interesting concept. Um, 
you know, what they're trying to pull off with Ahsoka. And, and I'm not super excited about the next episode because it's going to be this Ahsoka Anakin like side story in space, you know, the, this other dimension that Jedi can evidently enter, but not all Jedi know it's there. And you have to watch Star Wars Rebels to understand this piece, and I'm not going to explain it. Because <laughs> I probably need to go back and watch well, the Star Wars Rebel episodes. It, it's it's Force Purgatory. Yeah. If you're if you're Catholic, that reference makes perfect sense. If you're not, look it up. <laughs> <laughs> but that being that being said, um, this episode doesn't really move. I, I don't think this next episode is going to really move the story forward. It's more about establishing Ahsoka's character and motivations, and this this also this. Force Purgatory, as we're going to call it, is also the explanation of why Ahsoka, you don't see Ahsoka because she she ends, enters Force Purgatory in um, Rebels, which is like 10 years before, and and it, it's, the, it's the mechanism for which they say she, you know, jumps to the future. Okay. I don't know. It, it, you know, it, some of these, I mean, you have to create technobabble and, and methodology to move stories forward or explain things when you need it to change. Uh, at least it's a more plausible explanation than the way they did Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> You're not wrong there. And... Uh, and everything, so you know, it's it's a it's a device. I'm not sure I'm won a whole episode on the device. <laughs> but again, uh, a point that I made in the in the in take one is uh, these things being an eight episode arc or season are essentially extended length movies and if this were a two two and a half hour movie that would end up that on whole the episode would be on the cutting room floor yeah i agree we, we, I agree. we, we wouldn't even uh, i mean they may make a reference to it but it would occur off screen yeah yeah and like we said in take one it's kind of the elysium of strange new world season one correct <laughs> so well, we covered what we covered in 24 minutes last time. We covered in seven. <laughs> Love it. So let's move on to Star Trek Lower Decks. Um, season two started today on September 7th at, at midnight. Uh, Pacific time, 3 a.m. Eastern time. And um, the first two episodes were released. So for the, starting today, for the next nine weeks, you will have a new episode of Strange New Worlds. And then the holiday season happens. Or, I mean, Lower Decks. The holiday season happens, and then I think in January we get that final season of Discovery. Whether I watch it or not is another question. Or wait until all the episodes air, and then I'll watch it. <laughs> I am far more likely to watch it now that I know this is it. But me too, actually. Actually, that, that's very true. So that being said... 
I, I must have said that being said four times now. <laughs> God, I got to stop that. Uh, so the first two episodes of Lower Decks were, I, I really enjoyed them. I thought it's a good start to the season. Uh, the first episode is a complete homage to Star Trek Voyager. They basically, through the episode, recount every, or, or well, not every, but a lot of the major uh, themes that happened in Voyager for over a seven-season arc, with the but with the addition of the Lower Decks crew. And there was also an homage uh, or reference to the season two Lower Decks Star Trek Strange New Worlds crossover, real life or uh, real world crossover, uh, in that episode too, which was uh, was nice. I, and well executed and well timed. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I I, I really enjoyed that. I thought it, they did a good job. Uh, I would go. I mean, I already watched. I watched at seven a.m. this morning. I would go back and watch it again today, and and probably enjoy the episode even more because I would catch more of the little details and things. Uh, episode two was interesting. Uh, also a good um, arc. I, I we talked about a lot of spoilers last time. I'm not going to talk about them this time. Okay. Because um, I think there's probably some things in that episode. Both episodes we need to keep quiet. Okay. Um, but. What was interesting was what they're doing as a device. Um, they're kind of taking the Strange New Worlds episodic um, format and the Enterprise seasonal ep seasonal arc format and the TNG multiple storyline format in an episode and kind of merging them all together to create, um, to introduce both a seasonal arc at the end of the episode one, um, which continues into the beginning of episode two. And then there's a really good Mariner, uh, uh, ransom, ransom story. Uh, and then there's also a, a Devon attendee Billups, uh, uh, Rutherford story that they do. And, you know, so, and they're, they're, the three stories go on simultaneously, but not you know there's no knowledge of the all of that going on. So, I that that was really interesting, and they did it in such a way that it keeps interest. Also, the seasonal arc one, if you're not paying attention, it's going to surprise you because it's going to come back, and then you're going to have to go back to the first two episodes and find those areas to go. Oh, okay. I, and I think a lot the way they did that, a lot of people are are not going to remember that from the first two episodes on. Which brings us back to the binging thing. Yeah. Uh, th this whole seasonal arc thing lends itself to that sort of viewing. Well, it does. If you go back to the concept that you know, because of the. Streaming brought us this issue, this thing that I'm not entirely in love with. We're going to kind of talk about things in different order this time. I'm okay with that. But the the shortened BBC type, you know, six, eight, ten episode uh, seasons for a show. And, and I think part of the reason I don't like it, at least it's better than the, the BBC way. Like, I love the show Doc Martin. But they'd have like an eight 
episode season, and then it'd be two, three years before you'd get the next eight episode season, uh, particularly towards the end of that show. And and uh, but I'm not in love with the six, eight. If you're going to be episodic, I want it to be longer, particularly if it's a half hour show. Now the Paramount shows, uh, well, Lower Decks is a half hour show, but you know for the most part. The Yellowstones, the the Star Treks, uh, they're all an hour, and each episode is actually an hour. They do vary. Some episodes are an hour and fifteen minutes. Some episodes are forty five minutes. But you know, for the most part, the average about an hour, uh, a real hour, not like if it's on broadcast TV where it's forty minutes because you have twenty minutes of commercials every fifteen minutes they of story they they have to put in five minutes of commercials. The uh, but. If you're not going to let me binge the whole thing, I want 20 weeks of episodes. And, and Alex Kurtzman and the show and the the uh, main showrunner for Star- Strange New Worlds, they're they're looking at doing 20 episodes, which I think is reasonable for an hour show it, it, that you wait a week. Also, because the Writers Guild strike and the actor strike is also changing, we're we're seeing some effects that a lot of shows got canceled. Uh, uh, Disney, HBO Max, which is is Time Warner, they canceled a ton of shows so that they could take the write down, and uh, they won't be coming back. And uh, I, I went through my DVR because I was looking through the shows that I had, and it, my DVR will tell me if the if the show has ended. And and several of the HBO Max shows that I thought were going to continue, I was was shocked. Like Titans, uh, they ended that show. And um, and because of that, <clears throat> I think that and, and Paramount has shelved. Uh, and I don't know that this is due to the writer strike, but Paramount has shelved several of their concept shows for Star Trek. Like, there's not going to be a Section Thirty One show. It's going to be a movie. They. But that I think had more to do with Michelle Yeoh's well, they, they availability. Have, I think that's part of it too. And they have her on contract. They need to ex for, and they've pay, you know, they pay, so yeah. they have to. Uh, they they need to recognize what they paid her, and, and execute that. So you know, the movie is the compromise. And I actually think I don't know that I want a no, I don't a, want a section series. thirty, yeah, thirty one show. But that does bring up one of the things that I think is is worth talking about, and that's. I don't necessarily need a whole series. Give me a limited run. Give yeah. me that TV movie of the week or that mini series, and I'd be happy with that for a lot of these these projects. Yes, I agree. I agree. Uh, but the problem is, is I despise the way Marvel does or the Disney does the Marvel. You know, we'll do a five or six episode mini series on something. Um, when in reality, what it really should have been is you should have taken all those miniseries and put them together and it been one show and just changed the focus of who the character is for the five or six episodes. You know, you could have done that with Falcon and the Winter Soldier and um, the one with Nick Fury that was terrible. Secret Invasion. Secret Invasion. And there's four or five others they could do that with. And, and just made it a single series and kept it running half an episode a week for 52 weeks. <laughs> you know, because th- that's the problem, I think. I-, I will say this: Paramount Plus, I think, does a better job because they take their series and they uh, 
you know, they're big franchises like Yellowstone and Star Trek, and they, they spread them out, you know, so that they cover a 52-week year. I mean, and, and we're losing Discovery in January. Its last season will be this year. Uh, so that leaves the only two active series going on will be Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks. And frankly, Lower Decks, we just started the fourth season. So going on, traditionally, most Star Trek shows don't go past seven seasons. You know, you have uh, TNG, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager were all seven season long. But again, that was based on the TV model versus a streaming, streaming model. model. Yeah. And now, Lower Decks, I could see going on for a lot longer because, you know, you have seven years, a season a year on the, t the old TV model. You had your actors age seven years. That's a yeah. significant amount of time. Um, because Lower Decks is a cartoon and voiceover work can happen in a much different schedule than, than real life acting. Yeah. Uh, they could conceptually, Lower Decks could run 10, 12, 15 years because look at Scooby-Doo. Yeah. You know, um, the real Scooby-Doo, even though it was two, they named it two separate series, ran from 1976 or 78 until, no, it was, no, 1969 until 1985. That was essentially, even though they, they had it under the name of, you know, where, uh, who are you Scooby-Doo and, and Scooby-Doo Mystery Inc. And I mean, they, they had four or five names that they did it on. It was all the original Casey Kasem and Fred Welker and, and all of those doing that voice acting work, um, you know, for, for like 15, 16 years. And really it's been longer than that because like the last incarnation of Scooby-Doo, Fred Welker still did uh, Fred's voice. So, you know, Conceptually, Lower Decks could go on for a long time. You know, we could watch them go from ensigns to captains. <laughs> from Lower Decks to Upper Decks. Yeah. <laughs> well, they'll have to change it to they, Star Trek Upper Decks. They, 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 they've already done better than, than Harry Kim. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> seven years, seven, seven seasons. Years. He's still an ensign. So it begs the question of what he did wrong during the everything else going on. You know, the the episodes that didn't make it to the screen. <laughs> the stuff that's still on the cutting room floor. Yeah. So, but, you know, that, that model, I think they realize that they need to extend it. Uh, because the other problem that they have with the, the BBC model, uh, I call it that because they're the most prolific to do these shortened seasons and is that um, you lose interest over time. And this was something we discussed in Take One, which was about binging versus the episodic thing. Because even Netflix's CEO has said, we're going to, you know, we they're toying with different formats and how to do it, but they're looking at going to an episodic system so they get more engagement over a longer period of time because the binge model, whereas you put out... Ten eight, ten episodes in a binge model makes sense. You put all the episodes out and people can watch them weekly, watch four or five episodes in a row, and then wait and watch the next five, watch all of it at one time. Um, but the, the problem is, is your engagement is, is sporadic. So what a lot of people have done to save money, which I have no issue with, uh, and I also think this is why uh, 
password sharing is being cracked down on too, is they would you know, wait for four or five shows that they wanted to watch on Netflix, queue up, and then they would sign up for a month, watch all those shows, and then stop. And uh, we, we know that that happens because Disney has been complaining about that. You know, look what happened when they started and they, the, <clears throat> they only had The Mandalorian, I think, was the first original yeah. uh, Disney programming for Disney streaming. And people signed up, watched the, the whole of... Uh, and, even, and that was episodic. They would watch the, the season of, of Mando and then they would turn it off. Because there wasn't enough content to keep them engaged with Disney. Um, and that's a process that keeps repeating because the Disney financial reports keep showing that. Um, uh, you know, except now that they have more original programming, people are doing the same thing. And those, so they buy Netflix for a month and watch all the Netflix content. And the next month they buy Disney for a month and watch all the Disney content. And then they cancel that and they, you know, <clears throat> because there's not enough new programming to keep them engaged. Which is why I think, uh, in the long run, the the Disney's and the Paramounts are going to survive the streaming wars, whereas the Netflixes won't. Correct, I agree. Well, and also, if you look at, I mean, as bad as some, as bad as some of the stories on the Disney stuff. Frankly, I, I've been impressed with Paramount and the quality. Part of it is. You have Taylor Sheridan and Alex Kerman. They have quality people. And, and the Mando stuff, you have Dave Filoni and uh, John Favreau. John Favreau. Um, and even John Favreau's been involved in some of the, the, the Marvel stuff, the better Marvel stuff, like Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the quality of the content, original content, is better. Good example of really bad original content. <clears throat> There's a movie on Netflix called 65 million years and or 65 i think and it stars adam driver had a cast of five people in the total movie because it's a it's a science fiction movie the first 10 minutes in the movie is interesting and the last 10 minutes in the movie is interesting everything in the middle you could have left on the cutting room floor it was it was a episode a 20 minute television show that they extended out to two and out two and a half hours. Um, that's the problem with the content from new content from Netflix is they have the money to pull in big stars, but they don't have the talent who's actually writing and and I mean the production value was good. But what's funny is some of the best stuff that's been on Netflix has not been super popular. That's new, like the the Lost in Space was probably the best. Uh, lost in space, including the original, because they decided that they were going to make it serious science fiction and not make it campy at all. Um, shoot, what was the other one I loved? It was based on a, a science fiction series, um, but where you sleeve, you could sleeve and unsleeve yourself. Uh, there were a couple of shows uh, that were related to that idea. Uh, they, it seemed like they were both on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, uh, Upload was one of them. No, it wasn't that Download. one. It wasn't that. Um, uh, I, I know the one you're talking about. I can't remember the name so, of it. So, you know, the power of the interwebs. If only we had a device we could consult 
the collective uh, knowledge of our society. I know it's in my list because... Well, Another Life was another good one. That starred uh, um, Katie Sackhoff. Katie Sackhoff, yeah. Silent Sea, which was Korean, was really good. That one was a weird... It was a like a horror science fiction... Oh, Altered Carbon. Yes. Altered Carbon. Um, phenomenal. They It was a great show. Um, they canceled it because, you know, Netflix only does things by big data. But those were their good, you know, the, and those and shows like them is, are the stuff that they're not keeping around. Um, I don't know where they're getting, like, why they ever did the... the that what was it, 1846 or whatever with the the cruise ship that show was dreadfully boring and, and the German show that it was a spinoff of before that because they were both um, I can't remember what that one's called either it was dre- I mean watching an episode to me was painful it was a science fiction show but it just it it, it moves so slowly and and you know it, it was just so hard to stay involved and i think there's a lot of shows because netflix is believes in quantity over quality i think paramount believes in quality over quantity because for the the reality of it is is net or paramount has not put out a ton of of new streaming content but what they do put out for the most part tends to be good um and you know the other thing about Netflix is that the production quality of the shows varies greatly. One show like Altered Carbon, which had great production values and a great storyline and, and good acting. Um, on the flip side, you would have another show that would come out, and it looked like it was, you know, filmed in the the early 1980s on a hundred thousand dollar budget but that's because they don't have their own studio they're 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 buying content from creators who may or may not they're not buying content from creators they're on their new content they they do buy content from that's already made but they're also you know paying creators their studio studio stuff is not studio studio stuff. stuff yeah I mean, you're not going to go to a for every, Netflix soundstage. For every Stranger Things, there's a thousand bad ones on Netflix. Exactly. And, you know, it, it, there, I'll tell you and the I one... I struggled with Stranger Things. I started started the first season of it, and I, I, I stopped a few episodes in. I haven't been back to it. I hear it got much yeah. better. I don't know. Well, my complaint is, so, um, The Witcher with Henry Cavill really really well done um the first season and a half followed the storyline extremely extremely well and then they they started messing with the storyline and and um it's still enjoyable i mean the show has not been bad but now henry cavill's out and they're gonna bring somebody new in i'm like just end the show you know um Recasting at this point with with somebody who who is uh, 
Yeah, they're bringing a Helmsworth in, but it's not Chris. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's just, it, and it's not that I don't believe in recasting, but most of the time when I believe in recasting is like, hey, we're going to do another Indiana Jones movie. Uh, it's time to recast Harrison Ford. It's not believable that, you know, this 80-year-old man is <laughs> out gallivanting. And uh, that being said, I, I did finally see Indiana Jones and the, the Dial of Destiny. Was it any good? Was it it was watching? much better than Crystal Skull. Well, that's a but hard. a lot of the complaints about the movie are right. So evidently they shot the whole movie and they didn't like the second half of the movie. So they rewrote it and reshot it. And so now, continuity wise, it's kind of like two different stories. They're related, but it's not. It's not like it was done right. And also, Harrison Ford. I mean, they, and they, they. It was an homage, knowing that this is probably the last Harrison Ford movie. So they brought back John Reese Davies and and you know, um, who is it? Who played Marion Ravenwood? Karen Allen. Karen Allen. She's in it, but they're all so old. It's like, oh my god, you know. Where are your walkers, and how did you fit them all on set? And <laughs> you know, <laughs> I I don't mean that in a mean way, but you know, there again, it always goes back to that thing I talk about: suspension of belief, and it really hurts that suspension of belief. So, let's talk about the Screenwriters Guild Actors Guild strike, and I I think based on take one, I, I'm just going to say it so we don't have to go through all the exposition to get there. Uh, we both believe that there's probably too many people who are acting when they shouldn't be and too many writers who are writing really poor content when they shouldn't be and that both of those uh, unions aren't doing their, their union members a disservice by not telling them that, look, we're way too saturated in this market to keep all of you employed. But the reason they don't do that is the same reason unions regardless of the the protection racket uh continue to to do that and it's union well, union, union it's membership a, is is revenue is money revenue to to somebody yeah uh, and you're not going you're going to saturate whatever market it is for that set of skills to the point where the quality is now secondary to to the membership dues. Yeah, and, and we particularly talk about that about the Screenwriters Guild because I guess the, the big sticking points in the, the both uh, strikes and, and the studios is the fact that they don't want AI. Uh, they want to force a... For writers, they want to force a, um, a minimum number of writers in a writer's room. And for the most part... That's not needed because we're not seeing... I mean, they, they have financial numbers that show that all of these shows have failed that were written by writer's rooms. Yeah. Um, and all the shows that have been successful have been written by a few individuals. Like, Paramount's a good example because they brought... They're one of the big sticking points on AI. The use of AI and the writer's room uh, for the writer's guild, which is... Look, we got Taylor Sheridan. We have you know these writers who are writing for Star Trek, all the Star Trek series... And they're doing a good job. We're getting, you know, profits and good numbers out of this. 
And uh, and Taylor Sheridan did an interview, and he talks about that. Yeah, I have to. Part of the reason my shows cost so much is I have to pay for a writer's room that we don't use because I'm the one writing the show. You know, and and so. You know what is where is the value you have to ask there, and um, if you can't tell, the uh, the lawn maintenance people are outside of our recording studio at the moment with wow. that lovely piece of soundproof glass. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> <laughs> that, that single pane of of soundproof glass. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so so where is the availability or? or availability where where is the value i should say of having these writers rooms if they're not i mean in order to make the show you have to make money pay for the show and typically you have to make a profit over that people don't just you know break even and go hey that was great yeah (laughs) even even in communist society people don't make go hey we broke even great job I think now maybe maybe we have some Japanese listeners in our audience who can write in and correct me if I'm I'm wrong but uh, I recall hearing stories about Japanese baseball where the whole point was to end the game at a tie so the Japanese society may be the only exception to that rule. well you can end a game with a tie in soccer this is also true. <laughs> or football for our European <laughs> listeners. But, you know, at the end of the day, even the, you know, what the unions are fighting for is more money. Because yeah. at the end of the day, too, more money, if I put more money in the writers and the actors' pockets, that means I can charge more dues. Correct. <clears throat> Well, and I, I, there was a, a a sidebar in take one where we talked about how um, the quality of life for the people. Well, particularly in the, the actors. Yeah, there, yeah, there's a, a Rolling Stones article, and they talk about they interviewed four people. One was a father and son, and and the father had been an active actor. I mean, you go out to IMDb and you can look him up and he's got some real credits. And one of the, the other actors, actresses, she had some real credits. She, she played a, a recurring role in, I forget which TV show. It wasn't one I watched, but it, it was one I recognized. Um, and, uh, you know, they're living, the majority of the people in the, in the Screen Actors Guild are living, making so little money acting but they're living in one of the most expensive places in the world so that they can practice their craft. And that uh, the 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 father of the father and son was the only one who consistently made you know 40 50,000 dollars a year. You have to make 22,000 dollars a year acting, you know, under Screen Actors Guild's policies to even qualify to get the insurance that the guild provide. Well, when I say provide, you still have to pay for the insurance, but you qualify to even get access to pay for the, you know, the privilege of paying for insurance. And a lot of these actors, they, they either don't qualify or they barely qualify, you know, which tells me 
uh, just like the the screenwriters guild there's too many people doing it and it's not that again matt and i came out of the music industry um it wasn't like there are there's a dearth of talentless musicians out there trying to hack their way through through working in the music industry but there just aren't the jobs and when they when a job comes up you're competing with a hundred thousand other people worldwide for like an orchestra or symphony job um uh you know there are hubs uh, uh, in the music industry like nashville but they also and la is another good one just like acting but the problem is is they're ex they're expensive markets to live in nashville not so much compared to la but um you're also it's also everybody else is there too so again you're competing with for every job that comes open you know you're competing with 30,000 other talented people for for that position unless you know somebody and that's really nepotism is the way you get ahead in in the fine arts <laughs> well and uh, uh, yeah yeah because i think uh, that that would include acting and writing and, and all of that yeah exactly no, you're not wrong well i mean take it to the publishing industry I mean, I've interviewed him a few times on the podcast in the past. I don't think any of those episodes are when we had to move providers. I never got those uploaded. But uh, T.D. Wilson, who's a science fiction writer, uh, I've known T.D. for 30 years, uh, worked with him because he's also a uh, IT engineer. And um, he's still an IT engineer because he can't make enough money selling his books. I mean, and he started off being self-published you know through amazon and now he has a publisher and stuff and he still can't make it's been 15 years and he still can't make enough money to sell his books and his books aren't bad they're good they're enjoyable science fiction uh as a matter of fact his most recent ones are really good um you can tell he's really honed his craft and uh yeah he's a world builder too you know he 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 built a a universe and he's been writing stories and books that go inside this universe and they're enjoyable to read, but you know he he doesn't have an in in the publishing industry, uh, so he's never going to end up on the New York Times bestseller list because it's not like that happens because he's really a you know a, or people are great authors. It's because the publishers you know go out and advertise. It's just like the music industry. You know, there's two types of deals you get in the music industry. Uh, very very talented individuals get deals where they get to come in and record and essentially it's a loan for the 30 or 40 or fifty thousand dollars to uh, make the record and advertise the record and everything else and then they make no money on it because they have to pay that 30 or forty thousand dollars back or sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars and then there's the deal where you come in and you already have a following of a, a few million people so your album will go platinum they're you're, they're almost guaranteed to go platinum and so the industry takes that thirty or forty thousand dollars and considers it a, a, uh, an investment, and you don't pay anything back, you know, and you don't make any money with radio play or, or CD sales because that the distributor, which is the music, the record company, they make the money on on the majority of that. Which brings us back to the acting strike. But yeah, it, I mean, I'm talking about that because from a fine arts point of view, it's the exact same thing. Yeah. You know, these these people they're not important enough to get residuals because they're not they're not negotiating their own contracts. 
they're letting collective bargaining negotiate what they make. Here's your daily rate, you know, whatever. And it's a it's a one-time fee. You know, hey, you came and you acted two days as a background here. Here's your 4000 bucks. Which brings us back to Matt Damon. Yes. Yeah, now, that, now, that's what. Well, that's why I think it's hypocritical to have Matt Damon and Fran Drescher yes. talking for the union. They don't need money. It's secondary importance well, to them. They've already made when, all their money. When, when, when they when they <coughs> are taking the 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 wage that the union is is proposing, then I will listen to them. Yeah, but they get the opportunity because of their talent talent to negotiate their own deals yeah exactly exactly at which point the union should kick them out well exactly but see the union wants that revenue so but that's that's my point well and they also want to you know if we go on strike then you guys have to go on strike you can't work but the funny thing about that is is it doesn't matter if matt matt damon's made so much money friend rusher's made so much money they don't need to work for the rest of their lives I mean, Fran Drescher is retired. What, what has she been in lately? <laughs> Her name came up as the president of the, the Screen Actors Guild, and I about fell over. I'm like, so that's yeah. what she's been doing. Yeah, that's what she's been doing. Um, you know, it, and it's kind of funny because all of this is interrelated. This whole streaming, um, the statement and the 11-page document that the CEO of Time Warner Communications, or not Time Warner, Charter Spectrum Communications came out with saying that the, the current cable model is untenable um, because they could not come to an agreement with Disney and so all the Disney properties, about five channels, got pulled off their cable network. Um, which is funny because at the end of the day, does it really matter if your cable network doesn't have Disney and you're competing against streaming anyway? Because from a cable television, it's not like the cable television is a, it's a monopoly. It's just like power, you know? <laughs> I have Duke Energy. Who's my option to go to if I don't have Duke Energy? Exxon? Thornton's? Because that's what I'm filling my the tank up on my generator if I want electricity. I mean, in reality, where do you go for cable TV around here if it's not Spectrum Charter? And before that, you know, when Time Warner was forced to split off and sell off part of their, their stuff to Spectrum Charter, you know, it... it and yes, I know people will argue, well, there's, you know, there's uh, there's uh, DirecTV and, and Dish Network. They're not real competitors. Uh, but streaming is a real competitor. And so now that the, the market is now competitive, uh, and even the internet market is now competitive because, I mean, where I live, I live out in the country, mind you. Uh, and I have fiber optic, one gig up and down to my house. I can get Spectrum Charter. And when I say fi I have fiber, that's what I have. I can choose between two, two pr different providers today. I have Time Warner, or Time Warner, Spectrum Internet I can get, because that's what I had prior to the fiber. I have Verizon Home Internet, uh, where I get wireless 5G at decent speeds. And that's essentially free because they only charge you $25 a month where, where I live. And with if you auto pay, you get 
$25 discount. So that becomes free, essentially, to me. But I can get T-Mobile home internet, which is also wireless. I can get AT&T home internet, which is also wireless. So there's com the, the, the internet capability, which enables streaming, uh, makes everything more competitive. And com competition is good. Because what competition should do is drive the price down. And that's exactly what it's done in the, the home internet market is because T-Mobile and Verizon and AT&T and Alta Fiber and Broadpoint and Spectrum and, you know, uh, Google Fiber and, and all these are in the area and they're available, you know, all of them are available to you as a customer, their prices have dropped. Where you're, if you live in an area where you don't have that, your prices don't drop. But what we're seeing is that's happening in the, we're, we're seeing increases in pricing in the streaming uh, area right now. But that, I think uh, largely that's because Netflix, they screwed their own model. Netflix's model was, we're gonna get new content from other people. And, and and don't get me wrong, Netflix, I don't, in a way, I don't know that Netflix, Netflix took over and changed the model from the video stores, you know, when you could order DVDs and then they brought streaming in, which was great because that was an improvement in their delivery mechanism. Oh, you right. don't have to send D DVDs back and forth to us. You can just have it to your home. But they were licensing content from other providers. And now that there's more competition in the streaming space, they're struggling because the, the people who were providing them content who own the studios, as you said, yeah. aren't, uh, they have their own streaming mechanisms now. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't, I think Paramount's in good shape. I th I'm not so sure about HBO Max with the whole Time Warner thing and, you know, and Discovery Channel. I that has yet to settle out because they where HBO Max had a, a lot of good strong new content like Westworld and all that all of that's ended and they've killed a lot of shows like we said yeah. Titans is one that they killed which yeah. was one of the better superhero shows um, but Netflix may not survive and that's not a bad thing no, it really and, isn't. And what it is is we have a saturation of streaming providers. Not everybody has enough content to prov to be a or or has good enough content to to provide streaming. Paramount has an advantage. They're not just CBS Studios and and you know can only offer the back catalog of television. They can offer all of Paramount's back catalog of movies and any new movies coming out. So they're getting new content from both sides of the house. Disney is the same way. The problem Disney has is they owe, is it Charter? They owe Charter like a billion dollars for Hulu. And they don't have the money to pay it. Which I, I don't understand why, um, why Disney did that. Because well, it they were developing Disney. Plus. Well, what it is is they bought Fox and overspent for Fox. Fox was the Hulu. Disney was a small provider in Hulu or partner in Hulu, but they they essentially bought Fox's debt. 
what Fox owed Charter. Yeah. And so they've got to pay that out somehow. And that's what makes us interesting about the Charter Spectrum because Charter Spectrum is a a subsidiary of Charter Communications and, and all of this. And how does that play out? Um, I don't think we've heard the end of that story. But I think Disney could survive if they can figure financially figure a way out of that Charter issue. And they, I think they know the answer to the other issues that they have, which is they need to get rid of Bob Iger and most of the senior executive staff and bring people in who... who um, I'm wanting to make money again. <laughs> but frankly, Disney's issue is that they've overextended. Now, I think Apple TV has done a good job. They have very high quality content. It was slow at first. You know, they had two or three shows and and that was their only new content. And now they've got a bevy of, of good content going on. Um, they've... They have the money to buy. I, I actually think the way Disney's going to end up getting out of this and also solving some of their issues is they're going to have to sell off Marvel. They're going to have to sell off Star Wars. That's where their value is right now. or And sell off Pixar. Um, but they've kind of gutted Pixar. Um, and, and that's a problem. Because that devalues what they really could have gotten out of it. But Apple might be willing to buy that because that's... The one thing Apple does today is, in a little bit, is unlike Netflix, they don't just buy what's out there. They specifically have a team that goes out and they develop the, the concepts and the content, and then they hire production companies to make that content for them. Um, I think they would like to have a studio of their own, have a little more control. It would probably cut some costs for them. Uh, Amazon Prime does the same thing. The problem I have with Amazon is for every good show they have, they've ruined other properties. Like this, uh, The Boys, I think, is a phenomenal show. And Gen Z is coming out. And so it's, a, it's about the superhero university in the boys' universe. So that'll be an interesting show to see. Um, they have The Wheel of Time and The Lord of the Rings at, at Amazon Prime and they screwed the pooch with Wheel of Time. They've changed the story so much that it doesn't make sense. And you're talking about, like Lord of the Rings, yes, I understand you sometimes have to change the stories in a book because you can't go into that far in detail and you have to you know, make the, the watcher um, come to a conclusion without showing it on screen. But you can't change the story so much that it's not the story anymore. And but the second season of The Wheel of Time, they've changed the story so much that that they're having a hard time introducing integral characters into the show because they changed the story when they should they didn't need to, you know. And um, while I enjoyed the the Lord of the Rings thing they did, um, they're dealing with the really obscure content piece of J.R.R. Tolkien. The stuff that unless you're a super, super deep Lord of the Rings fan, you would have never have read these stories and understood what's going on. Now, that being said, I think they did a good job presenting that, but you know, if you really think about it, J.R.R. Tolkien in the fantasy science fiction universe, to a large degree is the Charles Dickens of fantasy science fiction, which means it's long and it can be slow and not a super exciting 
for every battle there is, there's ten times that next position, and that's a problem that they have not overcome. Which, and is, they could have if they had hired Weta or Weka to do the or Weta. No, what? Sorry, there's a company, a storage company called Weka, Weta Studios to do uh, their production and and direction and and stuff of that show for them. But, I mean, they, they have other great content. The Jack Ryan, but that ended. Um, Fabulous Miss Maisel's been excellent. Although I haven't watched the latest season because every other YouTube video that's on YouTube was of doing the dance challenge for Miss Maisel, and I'm so sick of that. And then let's bring in the economy on this. So let's tie this all together with inflation. So here's the other issue the entertainment industry needs to really think about. This was a very poor time for the Screen Actors Guild and the Screenwriters Guild to strike because we have record inflation. People aren't buying, you know, they're looking for places where they can save money. So if I'm not watching Netflix or I'm not watching Paramount Plus or I'm not watching Disney, I'm going to eliminate those from my um, <clears throat> my monthly budget. You know, and, and when I do that, part of the reason I can eliminate that is because there's so much new and good free content. As long as you're willing to watch five seconds of a commercial occasionally, free content on YouTube. And they're not under, you know, and nor would I ever agree if I were a YouTube person to join the Screen Actors Guild or the Screen Writers Guild um, to produce content because I'm making content based upon the fact that I'm being paid on the advertisements. And I mean, there are people who don't even rely on the YouTube advertisement. They let YouTube keep all the money because for distributing their product and they have separate advertisers who you know or sponsor their show and I mean there are people who that's that's all the money they make all year long and frankly they're making more money than I am and I make a pretty good paycheck <laughs> annually <laughs> you know and and so that's the other thing that's that's changed for all this but the inflation thing is getting out of hand you know the the cost of everything um, it it can't continue to go up because I mean I say it can't it will <laughs> but mm -hmm. things you know that just here's a good example and it, it people talk about these as luxury goods and they are I mean we live in the first world country um, so this is a first world problem but even stores like Bath and Body Works where you buy soap and shampoo and, and stuff like that, they, they're doubling the prices because it's not, and, and they're doubling the prices is not because they're making double the money. They're probably making the same amount of margin on what they're selling, but the whole supply chain because of inflation has gone up. And so the, you know, everybody to maintain where they're at has 
had to increase prices. And it's not just them. I mean, you go to the grocery store and, you know, buying food is double what it was a year ago. Or more. Or more, yeah. And I'm not talking about, you know, oh, man, you know, that uh, filet, you know, is $22 or $22 now at the store when it was it was 18 I'm talking about, you know, ground chuck, which was $1.99 a pound, is now $4.99 a pound. That's what I'm talking about. And when people have to choose between putting dinner on the table or watching Netflix. Yeah, exactly. Or... They're going to make that choice. Yeah, or... Um, what about energy carrier costs? You know, <clears throat> uh, Duke Energy, who I happen to have, their carrier costs. Not what I pay per kilowatt hour, because that comes from some company in Alabama with the, the choice. But the carrier costs, you know, the maintenance of the, the wires and bringing it to your house and the substations and all of that, that went up 40% this year, this yeah. summer alone. Uh, my understanding is that whatever they call Dayton Power and Light now, AES, AES same thing happened. Yeah. You know, I, I got my my July, no, my August, because that's when it kicked in was the August bill. My power bill was $400. And it's not like we run an outrageous amount of stuff. I mean, we are a farm, so our, you know, our power usage is higher because I'm not just powering the house. I'm powering all the outbuildings. But it's not like, you know, we don't have a whole air, air conditioning system. We're only air conditioning the rooms that we need to air condition, which is two. And uh, and I'm just sitting here going, and because of heat over the summer, I turned off all my lab equipment for my computer lab. So none of that's been running. So that's not drawing extra energy. Yet I still had a 40% increase, you know, which translated into about $120, $130 extra in my power bill, you know, from the previous month. How do you account for that? And everybody's hitting that. Which so, then, which so, then, which then, takes you to the point where you have to go to your employer and say, "I I need a I need a raise in order to yeah just to cover basically maintain my my lifestyle." Yeah, but you know, uh, cost of living increases at most employers is if you get a big one, it's three percent, if that, and that's if and, and and I'm not talking about you know. Yes, bigger companies, the bigger the company, the, the more that they can probably absorb. But they probably can't really absorb 15 to 20% to everybody. And, you know, if you're Boeing yeah. and have millions of workers in the United States, can you really take 15% increase to cover, you know, this cost of living issue? I don't know. It, it's going to be interesting come, well, November, Super Tuesday this year when we vote in the primaries and then Super Tuesday next year and, uh, and what's going on because a lot of this economic impact is, is due to our current federal government, not due to uh, the greed of companies. And don't get me wrong, companies are greedy. They, you, don't, you don't do stuff unless you're wanting to make money. I mean, that's... It's kind of the point. Yeah. So... 
I think we'll leave it at there. We're actually back down to an hour of episode, and we covered all of my topics this time. How about that? Uh, uh, maybe we should do this more often. <laughs> <laughs> Screw the first take and, and uh, everything. So we want to hear from you. Please send us some feedback to gizmosapiens at gmail.com. That's G-I-Z-M-O-S-A-P-I-E-N-S at gmail.com. And we'll see you on the digital flip side. and entertainment podcast you can reach us at our email address at gizmosapiens at gmail.com that's g-i-z-m-o-s-a-p-i-e-n-s at gmail.com we'd really love to hear from you and we'll see you next week from the digital flip side <laughs>